Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Before we uh, get into things, I just want to say thank you to all of our sound guys. I know Brent's on today. He's not the only one. Alan, Justin, and Pete also help run sound. I know it's been, uh, it took us a while to get things figured out, but this morning as I was singing uh, up here in the front, I, I could hear predominantly the females in our, our co- congregation singing, and you all sound beautiful, um, but that's something we're striving to do is get the, get the volume at a spot where we're not at a concert, so we, we, can hear, we can hear the corporate body sing, maybe not individual voices. I know Wes is very concerned about people hearing his voice, because it's not the most pleasant, his singing voice anyways, right? His words, not mine. There's a story, you can ask him about, uh, about was it 7th, 8th grade? Junior high choir. Him and his brother may have been asked to not be a part of that anymore. <laughs> and I, I can't sing either. I can't sing either. I, I love the, the verse in, in the Psalms that says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. It doesn't say make a joyful melody, right? I got the noise part down. So all that to say, thank you to our sound guys for working so hard. You have no idea the amount of complexity that goes in and all the things that they're on top of and like the curriculum that they went through a whole course that we brought a guy. It's just been a lot. So I know we have lots of preferences and opinions, but I, I want to uh, say thank you to them for the work that they've been doing and yeah, where we're, where we're landing the plane on that. So back to, back to the message or to start the message today, we are in uh, the last sermon in our No Fair series. If you'll remember four weeks ago, we, we kicked off a new series and not just for the month, but actually for the whole year. So we've got like mini series within a, a bigger overarching series. The overarching series we've called Enriching Tradition where we're going through or following the church calendar, following the Revised Common Lectionary. Really, that document is supplying us with the text that me or or anybody else up here is going to to be preaching on. And so as we we go through the church calendar, there's uh, a bunch of seasons which you're familiar with, and then some that that you're probably not so familiar with. I mean, everybody's familiar with the Easter season and Christmas, that's what I'm talking about. But then after Pentecost... There's this huge green season called Ordinary Time or After Pentecost in the church calendar where basically we're focusing on now that we've went through like the story arc of how we get into the kingdom and and, and get into relationship with God and Jesus, what does it look like to now live out that relationship in our life? And so we're talking about the mission of the church, of the believer, what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And within that, that's where we're at in the church calendar. Within that, we've been talking recently about joy and about grace, and more specifically about how, how awesome it is to receive grace, but how hard it is and how sometimes it feels unfair to have to dispense grace in our own lives. And hopefully you're realizing, as we've talked, talked about some of these difficult things, like loving our enemies, that's a great indication if you're growing in, mature, in maturity, you can ask yourself, how well am I doing at loving my enemies? Pretty good indication that you're walking close and in stride with Jesus if you're growing in your ability to love your enemies. Also, you could ask another question, how how am I doing in in forgiving those who hurt me and wrong me? Last week, we talked a lot about forgiveness, and I I realize you all are so gracious with me when I preach, and with Wes and Seth and and anybody else, Caleb, when he preaches. You're all so gracious, Um, and, and I hope you realize that Every time we talk, we, we can't clearly uh, go through all of the ins and outs of every situation. That's not lost on me. It's not lost on you. Last week, we talked 
a little bit about forgiveness. And that's a sticky thing. And I got an email this week, which I love and appreciate. And uh, someone was asking me, you know, some, some more about the finer points of forgiveness. And I realize on a Sunday I can't cover everything. And the points that, that this person brought up were incredibly valid. And it was a reminder to me of how important it is that you all do not just settle for listening to a sermon on Sunday morning. Because we can't cover it all. Obviously, the Holy Spirit's going to work, but, but especially when we get into some of the stickier issues in life and the messier situations in life, like forgiveness, there's a whole lot of subtlety and nuance about what the Lord asks us to do. I don't think it goes uh, without saying, but I'll say it anyway. In forgiveness, we're not asking you necessarily to stay in abusive relationships. We're certainly not asking that, right? I hope you know that, that there are times where we're called to forgive someone from the heart, but that might mean also putting up some stricter boundaries and what that relationship looks like. And so that's a, that's a case in point where what you hear on Sunday, if you ever need clarification or if I misspeak or say something that's not biblical or anyone else, please email, text, call. We want to talk about it. We want to say what the Bible says, nothing more and nothing less. But if you ever need more clarification, come and talk to one of us. Or, better yet, maybe you have some fridge friends who are more mature, maybe not in every area, but in certain areas you can bounce stuff off of one another. It's very, very important that, that we don't just listen to sermons, but that we process what we hear from God's Word through sermons and what we're reading together in a community, and we'll be as iron sharpens iron that way. So thanks for the email. Uh, hopefully that helps clear some stuff up if you're saying, man, I need some more about that. If not, come talk to me. Talk to your, your mentors, your disciples. And, and we can continue to, to flesh that out. What does it look like to truly forgive from the heart? What's Jesus asking me in this particular relationship? Um, there's, not a, there's not always easy answers in that. So we've been talking about some difficult things. The joys and hardship of grace, right? We're talking about loving our enemies, praying for those who persecute us, forgiving those who harm us. And that's the tagline that's been for our series. The joys, love the joys, and the hardships of grace. And that, that statement, it's sort of the, that's the upside down kind of paradoxical thinking that I kind of want to focus in on today and, and land our plane in the miniseries here for, for this, this, this time. Um, I hope you know that, that uh, as we've, we've gone through this, one of the things that keeps coming back to my mind is the importance of, of choosing faithfulness rather than fairness. A lot of times when we're dealing with grace and dispensing grace and dealing with forgiveness, it's really easy to want to default to, to matters of fairness rather than to be faithful to Jesus. And hopefully you're understanding how much you need Jesus to have the power within yourself to even do what we're talking about. But as we strive to do these things, as we strive to love our enemies, as we strive to forgive those who wrong us, the more and more that, that we live in relationship with Jesus, if we're not careful... If we're not careful, we can begin to forget what grace is and what it does. We can forget how undeserving we actually are. If we're not careful, we might start to think that because of how we're living, what we're doing in our churches, in our families, in our communities, what we're doing for and with Jesus, we can forget that... Or, or we can forget grace and we can, we can begin to believe that we're actually more deserving 
or entitled to God's grace than those of our brothers and sisters around us. And Jesus, Jesus is going to invite us to check our hearts this morning on that. I don't know if you remember that saying. That was a couple years ago. John Christ, um, he did a whole bit about that statement, check your heart, right? He sort of made it go viral in a lot of ways. And that, that, that statement, if you're not familiar with it, check your heart. It's kind of a, a subtle, maybe not so subtle, uh, kind of passive-aggressive way for Christians to invite their fellow brothers and sisters to maybe examine their motivations and their behaviors a little bit. Now, not to offend people, but check your heart, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a few of these things that I found on, on social media. I picked the first six that came up when I typed it in, into Facebook. So I'm not making a statement here. I'm just, just going to share them with you in that order. First top ones, all right? Here's, here's what it means, the hashtag check your heart. When your kid cries in the, middle of your, in the middle of the night and you pretend to be asleep so your spouse has to handle it. <laughs> check your heart. <laughs> when you show up to Bible study but you haven't done the assigned reading for the week, check your heart. When you arrive at church and realize that the first time visitors have sat in your seat and now church is ruined for the rest of the day. Love you. Check your heart, right? When you don't volunteer at church because you can't commit your time, but your kids are involved in five different travel sports teams. Check your heart. When you start counting the planks in the church ceiling to, vi- to survive another sermon from your pastor, <laughs> hashtag check your heart. This is actually why we black the ceiling out, right? No tongue and groove in this room. <laughs> and lastly, when you put the frozen food back on the bread aisle because you are too lazy to go back and put it into the freezer, check your heart, you sluggard. Check your heart. You get the idea, right? Check your heart. It's a nice, subtle, maybe a bit passive-aggressive way to call someone out on their questionable motivations, their questionable behaviors as a believer in Jesus. Well, this morning, Jesus is not going to be quite as subtle, but he is going to invite all of us to check our hearts when we're thinking about our standing in his kingdom and before the Heavenly Father. Well, there's some, there are some in here who I'm confident, you have no problem understanding that when it comes to grace, you do not deserve it. And probably, you're probably more hard on yourself than what Jesus is, and that's a whole other sermon. But there are others of us, perhaps the more religious, maybe the more, more of us who are, who are a tad more put together, right, in, in how we show up and, and what we do, how we live our lives. And for those folks... For those of us who have perhaps been with Jesus longer, been in the church longer, there is a danger of becoming prideful about the work that we do for God, about the traditions that we follow so religiously in our own lives. And to all of those folks, Jesus tells this parable to illustrate how grace ought to set us straight and help us check our hearts. So I want to read it with you this morning. You can turn to Matthew chapter 20 in your Bibles. As you're turning there, I want you to be on the lookout for how you can see our big idea illustrated for this morning. 
The big idea is this. If you're a member of Christ's kingdom, you're only there because of his self-giving, generous love. Let's read it together. Matthew 20, starting in verse 1. I'll be reading from the NIV. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. And about nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also, you go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. And then he went out again at noon and about three in the afternoon as well he did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? And he said, because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call all the workers together and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. And the workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, they saw what was going on, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble. They began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equals to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do with my own money what I want? Or are you envious because I am generous? So, he says, the last will be first and the first will be last. Hopefully you signed up for our text messaging of the scriptures Hopefully, as Wes mentioned, that you're not a pagan and have unsubscribed from that already, right? (laughs) I joke. If you want to, you can type NDevo, and you can can opt out of that if you want. But if if you've done that, perhaps you've turned back a few chapters before to, to put the scripture in context. If you would have done that, you would have learned of another parable, or another story that Jesus tells right, right prior to this parable. A few pages back in Matthew, you would discover that a very wealthy man comes up to Jesus while he's teaching. Apparently, he's well put together, a religious guy. He's coming asking a religious question. And he says, essentially, teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus gives him the, the command, the great commandment, love God, love others. And he says, well, I've done that. He says, okay, one thing you lacked, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and then come and follow me. Now, by all accounts, this dude is a model citizen. He's an active member, probably in his synagogue, in his community. He wants to know, what do I need to do to have eternal life? We're told, sell everything and follow Jesus. We're also told in that story that the man was very wealthy. And so he turns away from Jesus quite disappointed with what he had just heard. And then Jesus says something right after this. That's maybe makes your stomach churn a little bit. He turns to his disciples and he says, Boys, it is very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
So hard, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. If you were to read that story, you would find the disciples are astonished, it says. They're astonished by this statement. What, they say? Why would they be astonished about this? Presumably, this wealthy man and others like him, there's an assumption that they can do so much for God. And so they ask, they ask, if this guy can't enter the kingdom, then who in the world can? If someone who does so much for God, he said, quite honestly, probably, he said, I've kept the great commandment. I've loved God with all of my heart, with all of my mind, with all of my soul, and I've tried my best to love my neighbor as myself. He says, I've done that. And Jesus doesn't say that he didn't. If someone who has been this faithful and done this much good stuff, he's given to missionaries, he serves at his church, he's done all his Hail Marys, he's at church every Sunday, he goes on missions trips, he's generally a good and kind man throughout the entirety of his life. His disciples, they say, if this guy isn't getting in, then who in the world is? And then Jesus makes this statement. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The disciples, they don't quite get it yet, but this statement is a statement of grace, church. It's a statement about what your works are able to earn for you in God's kingdom. It's a statement about the pay scale in God's kingdom, about the wage that you and I are capable of earning. In Matthew's account of this story, he finishes this section just before the one I read to you in verse 30. He says, But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And he does this. He goes on to tell the story then, Jesus does, because his disciples are kind of dense, like I can be, perhaps like maybe you can be sometimes. Jesus goes on to tell them this parable to illustrate the point that he's trying to make about how one enters the kingdom of God. And then he tells them this parable, parable about a scenario that would have been very familiar to them, very agriculture-oriented community. Right? He tells them about a farmer who requires more day, day laborers during the season of harvest. Those of you who are farmers will know this is true. Being a farmer, on the off seasons, it really doesn't take a whole lot of extra help. But when, man, the harvest hits, it's all hands on deck. Now, some of that is curbed with our industrialization and all the equipment that we have, but you still need more help when harvest hits. The same is true here. And so the folks, they understand the scenario that Jesus is painting for them. Yeah, yeah, okay, the the vineyard, the harvest is coming, the guy needs more workers. We get that, right? And then as Jesus tells them more and more of this story in this parable, there are several things that are not keeping with the norm. They're out of sorts. They're surprising to the hearers. They've heard a familiar story, and they're expecting one thing, and then Jesus says, actually, here's what happens. And so as we go through the story, we have to ask, what are the things that are surprising? What are the things that Jesus is saying that, that is not how the world works, right? We've had all of the hullabaloo about the United Auto Industry strike that's maybe, maybe not going to happen, right? What Jesus is saying right here is not a, a recipe for industrial peace, is it? 
There's a part of us that can sympathize with the guys that work longer hours and, and, and get paid the same. So what is Jesus talking about here? Of course, this story has nothing to do with industrial peace. This isn't a model for how to run our business, necessarily. Jesus intends, he tells this story to show the principles on which God receives people into his kingdom. So we've got to key in to the, to the surprises that we find in this story. The first thing that's surprising about this story is the employer himself, the farmer. How he behaves, it's different. The employer goes out himself to hire the day laborers. Surely this is a job that he could have delegated to someone else, right? To go out in the, in the heat of the day, to go out to the riffraff at the local market, to, to go out, surely he could have delegated this, and surely he could have just went once. But he goes himself And he goes multiple times. Now, why would a guy of this stature, presumably a a rich farmer, he's got a vineyard, right? He's willing to pay people. Why would he do something like this? Why would he go out himself? Why would he go out multiple times? Apparently, he has a heart for these guys that need work. He has a heart for them, and not only a heart for them in that he keeps going to them, but the wage he promises to give them is more than generous, a denarius, if you look it up, it's, it's a day wage, but it's, it's not just like minimum wage. It's more in line with prevailing wage. He agrees to pay them generously for the work that he has for them. It's surprising that the farmer goes out himself and that he keeps on going. I want you to think, before we move past this point, think for a second, you being the last guys in the market. Maybe you're, you're not the most fit. Maybe you don't look like you, you got it all together and you, you've been passed over, right? You've not been picked for the team for the day. And imagine you have a family. You're supposed to go out. I'm gonna, honey, you leave. I'm going to go find some work. You're waiting all day. You've been passed over multiple times. And then the farmer shows up at five. He says, what have you been doing all day? And they say, well, no one's hired us. You're in a helpless situation, right? You're staring down the bottle of having to go back to your spouse once again and maybe your kids and family and let them know, I put myself out there. I know I needed to make a living. I know that's my responsibility. And no one, no one picked me. I wasn't hired. We're looking at, you know, rice and beans again for dinner. Right? It's a hopeless situation. And yet the farmer's heart moves towards these folks. And time and time again, he pursues them. He keeps coming back. He keeps coming back himself. He comes. Hey, come work for me. I'll pay you what's fair. I'll take care of you. That's surprising. It's also surprising at the end of the story. How he pays his workers is surprising, right? They all get the same wage. Everyone. Whether you work 10 hours in the heat of the day from sunup to sundown, or you were some of the hopeless folks at the end of the day who just came and worked one hour. Everyone gets paid the same. A denarius. Again, it's not minimum wage. Think in terms more of prevailing wage. That's a good wage. It's generous. And it's not surprising that those who've worked longer get cranky about this, is it? No. We would get cranky, right? We would see, well, these guys showed up. They worked an hour. Man, look what they got paid. Our hearts are instantly, we're jumping towards, man, you start doing the math, the accountant's like, whoa, whoa, what's coming to me? 
That's not what Jesus does. They assume that they'll get paid more because they worked more. But that's not what Jesus does. And again, that's surprising, and it teaches us something, not about the way the world works or perhaps should work, but the way that the kingdom works. See, we, we find ourselves quickly in a religious mindset, church, don't we? A mindset that thinks about earning salvation like one earns a wage. Well, if I do more, I'll get more. If we're not careful, the longer that we're in God's family, the longer we're in Jesus as a son and as a servant, if we're not careful, we will inevitably begin to think that all of the work we've done for God earns us a greater rank or a greater position before God. And if you're not careful, you might start to resent your fellow Christians, other believers. You might begin to become entitled before God. You might start to think that He owes you. It's surprising to find here that the farmer, he rebukes this entitlement. He doesn't just let it go, right? He speaks to the the union strike representative who's you know he says listen didn't we make an agreement am i treating you unfair are you really going to call me to task for being generous are you really going to be envious because i'm choosing to give this person who was hopeless and didn't have any any shot of going home and feeding his family are you really going to resent me for that that's surprising He doesn't just roll over and say, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. He engages and he he calls the guy on it. He calls the guy on it. As I was writing this, I couldn't help but think of the story of the prodigal son. You might never have heard that. I think a a better illustration or a better uh, title for that story would not be the prodigal son, but would be the story of the lost two sons. If you're familiar with the story, the younger son goes out. He asks for the the father's half of his inheritance so that he might go spend it on his pleasure, and that's what he does. He lives it up, right? He goes and drinking and women and carrying on, and he spends it all. all. We all know that guy, right? He's lost, clearly. But then the older son, who's lived in the father's house this whole time, we see just how lost he is at the end of the story. When he basically just pours out bitterness and resentment on the father because he says, after all I've done for you, you've withheld from me. After everything I've done for you, you've never once killed a calf and thrown me a party. We realize that as much hatred as the younger son would have had to have towards his father to say, hey, I want my inheritance now. I wish you were dead. The older son has just as much hatred in his heart, even though he's living a presumably good life of a good son in the father's house. He doesn't love the father. He feels entitled before the father. And his attitude is, after all I've done for you, and you hold out on me. That's what Jesus is is illustrating for us here in this story. Don't be like, obviously don't be like the younger son, but we don't want to be like the older son either. I realize we might be getting a little abstract, so let's connect the dots here for us. In your life, whether you feel like a religious person or not, in your life, have you ever asked or thought this of the Lord? Said this in your heart. God, after all I've done for you, this is how you're going to repay me? You ever thought that? If you're honest, I'm willing to bet each and every one of you myself included, has thought that thought before. 
Who hasn't thought this, right? After a miscarriage, perhaps multiple miscarriages, a bad medical diagnosis, some kind of abuse you got stole from, I don't know, tragedy, accident, crisis. In those moments where bad stuff happens, where the stuff hits the fan, so to speak, in our life, in those moments, our hearts are very quick to jump to the world's pay scale, aren't they? After all I've done for you, God, this is my wage. This is how you're going to pay me. Friends, I sympathize with that. I've been there. But I want to, for a brief moment, examine what's wrong with that thinking. Why is that stinking thinking? The first is with the thought, after all I've done. Let's think about that statement for a second. After all I've done. That's what the workers come before the farmer and say, right? After all we've done in the hard heat of the day, after all we've done in the hours we've worked, this is how you're going to pay us? Let's think about what they've done for a second, shall we? They did do some work, yes. But who did they do that work for? The farmer, right? And they agreed to do the work for a denarius. They agreed to do the work for a certain wage. That was the agreement. Before, also, before the farmer gave them a job, they were unemployed. They didn't have a job. So did they deserve that job is the next question that follows. Did they deserve the work? I don't know, probably not any more than the next guy standing on the street. Was the farmer obligated to hire them? Was he obligated to pay them prevailing wage? No. But he chose to do so because he cared for them. So yeah, they did do some work, but the work that they were permitted to do was only because the Father chose them. Because the Father chose to move toward them and be generous to them. Now, apply that to yourself in the statement, after all I've done, after everything I've done for you, Lord, Think about that for a second. Loved ones, what have you done for God? Be honest. What good can you take sole credit for in your life before the Father of Heaven who made you? See, but for the grace of God, you and I, we can't take credit for any of it. But for God's generosity and love, We can't take credit for anything good that comes into our life that flows out from our life. To quote the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Hmm. If you're good at sports, I watched a kid on Napoleon have four interceptions in the first half this past week. Impressive. If you're good at sports, you're good and gifted at that because the Lord has blessed you with physical abilities. If you can sing, many of the folks up here on stage, God gave you that voice. Thank you for using it here to bless us, but the Lord, the Lord gave that to you. If you have a quick mind, God's gifted you with that mind by His grace. If you have a job, a house, a family, friends, every good gift you have has come to you 
from the Father of heavenly lights, as James tells us, from God. You and I don't have anything in our lives apart from God's grace. So we should be careful with our thinking. After all I've done, the reality is we haven't done much. The reality is you and I haven't done much that's worth anything from an eternal standpoint. And I don't say we should view ourselves as worms. I'm just saying we should view ourselves realistically. If we're in the kingdom, it's because God sent his son to die for us and said, I choose you, come work for me. I've got a job for you to do. Let's agree on the wage. I promise to always look on you with favor because of Jesus, not because of what you do. That's the wage. And it's a generous one, church. We should never balk at it. See, the principles of the kingdom are not the principles of this world. To the world, this scenario may seem unfair, but in the kingdom, it's known as grace. The last will be first in the kingdom, and the, wor- and the first in the world's eyes will be last. We're in a series called Enriching Tradition. Church, I'm not against tradition. I'm not. At its best, tradition and the traditions of the church, at their best, they're helpful. They help us practice and remember the faith and the work, works of God. That's at their best. At their worst, at the worst, Tradition, religious tradition can turn us into these ungrateful, unionized, entitled servants in this story. All the religious hoops we follow and jump through can start to make us feel entitled to something more than what God has promised to give us. It can make us forget grace and how we ever entered the kingdom in the first place. And so, with love, Check your heart. If you're a member of Christ's kingdom, you ain't here for how much you give or the good you do or how often you attend church or the work you do for God. You're only here. You're only here because of God's self-giving and generous love. As has been said before, all the ground is level before the foot of the cross. There's no rank in the kingdom And based upon this parable, many who have worked long and hard for Jesus will be last because everything that they've done, even as good as it was, their motivation was wrong. And so they missed it. Because of that, many who are first in our eyes will be last in the kingdom. And many who are last will be first. Let's pray. And we'll close in a final song. Lord Jesus, would you please make us like little children in regards to this story in particular? Prevent us from entitlement. Keep us humble in our service of you. Remind us that you don't need our service, that you simply just want to be with us, Lord. It's it's not about how much good we can do for you. And reality is you don't need us for anything. You invite us into some some good work that gives us dignity, that gives us opportunity to experience you in powerful ways and the blessing of, of being fruitful in your kingdom, Lord. There's so, so much that's a privilege about being called to work for you. But Father, may, may we never forget that you don't just want us to work for you. You want to work with us. 
You want to work in us. You called us by your grace so that we might know you, so that we might live in relationship with you. Let us not be like the younger son in the, in the prodigal son, Lord, who, who does not desire the father but desires the gifts of the father so that he might spend them on himself. May we never be like that. And Father, may we never be like the older son who gets caught up in all of his religious work and effort and becomes entitled and, and also misses the point that all the Father wants is our love, our relationship. Keep us from those extremes, Lord Jesus. Help us to know that in Jesus we always have enough because Jesus is enough. Help us to know more fully the joys of grace, Lord Jesus. And as we deal with the hardships of dispensing grace, be powerful in and through us for your glory. And our joy we pray. Amen.